0: Greetings and welcome back to the Fun to Know podcast. On today's show, Peabody Award winning radio producer and kids show host, Kathy O'Connell.
1: I was a fat, smart kid. Not the greatest thing to grow up, you know, any, any time. And this gave me no, a fat, smart, needy talented, look at me, look at me, look at me, kid, to be
2: fair.
0: Greetings and welcome back to the Fun to Know podcast. I'm Dan Buskirk and here we talk to writers, artists, and musicians about their lives and work. You can find the Fun to know podcast through SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Leave comments for us there or emails at Fun to Know podcast, always with the numeral two at gmail.com, and leave us a review on iTunes. On today's show, the Peabody Award-winning host of WXPN's Kids' Corner, Kathy O'Connell. In a medium famous for its transient careers, Kathy has remained an institution in Philly, broadcasting her children's live call-in talk show for over 25 years and bringing generations of kids to their radios with her gregarious nature, her library of music, and for taking calls from kids engaged in a wide variety of topics that the show has touched upon over the years. I engineered the show at WXPN during a couple of extended stints, and Kathy's quick wit and warm manner were always a joy to hear at work. Kathy's skills flow so naturally, in part because she spent a good portion of her youth as a somewhat crazily devoted fan of the kids' show legend Soupy Sales, who ruled the New York airwaves in the 1960s. Kathy haunted the show's taping with a small army of similarly obsessed, mostly young girl fans and fomented a relationship with the comic in his later years that's quite moving. While Soupy and his wife Trudy became like parents to Kathy, the story of her own family exudes some very real drama, as well as her travels throughout her radio career, including a late 70s stint at New York's fabled listener-funded community station WBAI of the Pacifica Network. Along the way, a lot of old showbiz names are dropped. We talk about kids today, the joys of television, the Beatles, John Lennon's death, and a lot of discussion about the life and career of Soupy Sales, with Kathy's dog Colby occasionally calling from offstage. You can find out more about what Kathy does at kidscorner.org, and special thanks to Kathy for clearing her dining room table and sitting down to talk. Let's head over there now.
1: Check okay. Pardon me for asking, but who's that little old man? What little old man? That little old man? Oh, him, he's my grandfather. Your grandfather, that's not your grandfather, it is, you know. Well, I've seen your grandfather, he lives in your house.
0: What is that from? <laughs> I'm sorry.
1: Oh, you young, young thing. A hard day's night, a hard day's night. That's the oh, first lines from A Hard Day's Night. Oh,
0: he's very clean looking,
1: very clean. Old. What a clean old man. <laughs> A movie I screamed through, by the way. Yeah. Now, as a movie lover, that breaks my heart when I think back about how the movies I talked through or the movies I screamed through A Hard Day's Night. It's, 12 fun. times. it's,
0: it's funny. I, I mean, even as much as I know about that era, I know that I'm just somehow missing something. It's just, to me, it is strange how that seemed like such a dog whistle call for kids of that age the Beatles just and and they are great but uh, it's just amazing that everybody at once seemed to get it
1: I cannot speak about everyone else (laughs) that is how by the way how I felt about people just a little older than me and Elvis right okay I'm way more interested in Princess Summerfall Winter Spring in Love Me Tender who my mother turns to my grandmother and says, See her up on the screen? Judy Tyler. That's Princess Summerfall, Winter Spring. She's dead, and she had died in a tragic car accident, which four-year-old Kathy didn't know about as I sat in the back of the car when we are watching this. Anyway, <laughs> I didn't get Elvis, but I remember the first time I heard the Beatles. I remember the first... I don't know if I was just... If I personally was just ready for that or did I just want to be swept up in something in this whole idea of an ideal teenagehood because I still get it I still love them my in fact my blind worship of the Beatles maybe has gotten deeper because <laughs> I okay Beatles came along right after right after I suffered one big loss which was John F. Kennedy I'm, I'm doing a little psych a lot so it's a JFK dies November 63, for those if you don't remember. And, and then Beatles come along and it kind of softened that. So I was ready to love something. I'm ready to worship something.
0: Yeah, they always tie those two events together historically. Yep.
1: Yeah. Yep. And it really was. It felt that way. It felt like a segue. There was nothing that Frankie Avalon is a lovely person, but there was nothing he or Fabian or even Bobby Rydell outside of Bye Bye Birdie. <laughs> ever said that spoke directly to me. And I'm not saying it was just in my heart. I believe that it may have been a little bit lower as well, shall we say. But I was still in Catholic school, so I didn't know what that was all about. Uh,
0: there's the amazing documentary The Mazels Made, uh, yes. um, which they ran on the uh, screen here at the, at the I-House, which is a different cut than the version that's on home video because originally uh, they didn't have any permission to get the Ed Sullivan show in there. Uh, So what they did is they went to a hotel room and filmed uh, a family, a mother and father, and three girls who were about 8, 10, and 13 or so. And they filmed them watching the Beatles. And it was an incredibly telling moment. And you could see sort of at each age, you know, they all liked them, but the 13-year-old liked Mm. them in a little more guttural way or something. Yes, that's
1: exactly it. It it really was. And the sexualized idea 13 year olds were 11 what what is now 11 was 13 back then a 13 year old was still a kid and you still got to be a kid so while i'm looking back on it in a very kind of mm, uh-huh, that's what i was feeling for the first time at the time it was this innocent wonderful they made my world
0: it was still the first kiss away i imagine yes. yeah yeah
1: that's well and then after that, it was Soupy Sales, and as you personally know, my friend, my first kiss came from a middle-aged actor. So instead of Paul McCartney.
0: Well, let's let's uh, it's interesting. I'm here with Kathy O'Connell. Oh, that's
1: right. We probably should have said that at some no, point. No, no, I like
0: I like the I like the, uh, the slow entry here. I'm here with Kathy O'Connell. Um, She holds one of those jobs that uh, it's almost like I'm interviewing that person who carries the seltzer water to people in Queens. Uh, uh, She's a children's uh, show host. I I grew up in a time when uh, that was uh, a a position that was to be held. But as as time has gone on, you don't see many adult children's show hosts anymore. I think that the kids are empowered to host their own shows. so. It makes sense that the only person—not uh, the only person—one of the few people that holds the post as a children's show host is somebody kind of like a Russian circus child, where you were raised, uh, you know, almost from the, the the cradle to be a children's show I host. I applaud like this too. I that much Russian, but uh, you uh, you studied at the hands of the master at a, at a teenage age, and
1: uh, I truly did. soupy sales.
0: Soupy sales. Yeah. I
1: I used to say to him. Thank God I wasted my life on you because honestly, I, I spent my college money, but well, little college money, my poor grandmother who worked in a hat factory on her feet all day made, put aside for her, her granddaughter. I blew that on a trip to Atlanta, Georgia with my best friend when I was 16 years old to watch him in Finian's Rainbow playing Og the Leprechaun and basically walk him from his dressing room to the car nothing inappropriate that just this worshipful you know thing he was the biggest force in my life at i went from the beatles
0: to Soupy. Soup, soupy mania
1: and soupy was accessible <laughs> soupy was accessible I, I grew up on long island i could take a train into the city and actually see his show
0: well let's talk for a second about about soupy sales and who oh, soupy yeah. sales is uh, I knew him from his 70s show when I was a kid but uh, he's his roots go back to in TV to the the early 50s I guess
1: they they, they do indeed and, and in radio as well and a lot of people actually know him I have friends who grew up on him on what's my line he was like the the permanent panelist on what's my line throughout the 70s and into the 80s and I guess some and people only to know through his well.
0: battles some people to know him through his battles with Harold Stern
1: <laughs> that's right. Which Howard, in a very classy move when he was giving his speech when he left Terrestrial Radio, he said some nice stuff about Soupy because I was on the phone right away calling Soupy. <laughs> well, no, I, to be fair, I checked the time first to make sure that it was afternoon because you didn't wake up Soupy you know, too, too early. Anyway, so, um, yes, yeah, Soupy sales um, was this phenomenon of a children's show host. He, um, he, he, his roots, like you said, go back in TV to the really early days. He did the first uh, televised teenage dance show, local TV uh, dance show out of Cincinnati or Cleveland, I'm not sure, Ohio, someplace in Ohio called Soupy Soda Shop. He... Um, wound up going like you know as many djs go from radio station to radio station well back then you went from local tv station to local tv station so he did soupy soda shop and then he did a show somewhere else he wasn't a kid show host yet never occurred to him as never occurred to me i'd be a kid show host (laughs) as i'm on wbai in the middle of the night and um there was this station manager at wxyz tv in detroit who wanted to do a kids show host, and he had a picture in his mind of what he wanted. Oh, Soubey was a comic. Yeah, duh. He also did stand up, and, and and you know he he had wife and kids to support. So you know, see, he, he was out, on the out road a clubs lot. of nightclubs and. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, so, so in, and again in in the Midwest, and and this guy at Detroit um, at WXYZ had heard about this young comic, and he had a picture in his mind of what he wanted. He wanted to do a kids show. And he wanted a guy with a floppy bow tie and he wanted him to wear a top hat. And that's all he knew. And he had no budget. And he, um, there was this comic name. At that point, he was Soupy Hines. His name went through a lot. of, And there's books about this,
0: you know. What is his real name?
1: Oh, his real name is Milton Sutman. However, if you go visit his grave at the Friars Club Cemetery up in Valhalla in Westchester, New York, it says Soupy Sales. Because that was his legal name. He had it legally changed to Soupy Sales. And when his granddaughter was born and um, they named her Sugar, Mr. Sales, let's just say, had a few giggles about that. And and I helped along because I said something about, ah, now introducing Supreme Court Justice Sugar Sales. And he's, ah, laughing, laughing. I said, yeah, and a guy named Soupy really <laughs> should be throwing that stone at, at, at Sugar. So um, so he went to Detroit and started this afternoon lunch with Soupy Sales. Oh, that was the other thing, is, is that the kid show host would eat lunch with the kids. Because at the time, you went home for lunch. And, you know, and, and it would be on noon, and it was lunch with Soupy Sales. And basically Soupy had no budget and he um, created, basically created children's programming that appealed to adults as well because, you know, Pee Wee Herman, Pee Wee's Playhouse and those kinds of shows that came after him really had that sensibility and not the, oh, let's sneak in dirty jokes kind of thing, but make it funny so the whole family, so the dads can enjoy it as well. So he becomes this phenomenon in, in Detroit. And at one point, he had a morning show, he had lunch with Soupy Sales, and he had a nighttime jazz and talk show called Soupies On. Wow. And never saw his children the <laughs> children, <laughs> you know, there are personal prices to pay in, in this. I remember, I, I once said to him, the movie A Face in the Crowd came on, on, on TCM. And I've oh, never watched it. And I said, "How could you not have watched this movie? This movie is about early television." And he said to me, "I was a little busy making early television, <laughs> you know." And and um, so he became this phenomenon in in Detroit. And especially lunch with Soupy Sale. So he be, really became known as a kid show host. Then he went to L.A. And and you can see him in. He shows up in movie. He, he This was 61, 62. He shows up in the movie Critics' Choice with, with Bob Hope. He shows up on TV shows from the time, Hennessy. And he had a national show um, on Friday night, the Soupy Sale show. Again, a kid show. This is at night, like 7 o'clock in, who, in who the evening. Who ran it Nationally. Who? ABC. ABC. It was an ABC show. And I, I have to confess, I vaguely remember it. But my mom and my grandmother went to the the beauty parlor on Friday night. So we had to be with them. So <laughs> I really didn't discover Soupy until that show get, gets canceled. And he went to New York. And he came to New York City in 1964. He was on the air on WNEW TV from 1964 to 1966. And he was huge. At this time when we're worshiping the Beatles, when, when it's perfectly sane to have a zillion kids screaming and yelling about you know this cultural phenomenon, um, he reopened the Paramount Theater. He did a live show where he reopened the Paramount Theater in New York, Frank Sinatra. I went to that show, by the way. He claims that Little Richard threatened his life. Little Richard was on the bill of this show. And it's Shirley <laughs> Ellis who did the name game, The Detergents. The King Curtis Orchestra, um, who, the Hollies, and, and and Little Richard was originally listed, and I still have them listed in the programs. Well, in his autobiography, Soupy says like there were a zillion kids, and they like broke the door of the, the the Paramount, and all these these kids were going nuts, and Little Richard got really mad that this comedian with the floppy bow tie. Was kind of taken, you know, because he's little Richard. So Soupy claimed he said he was going to come after him with a gun. So Soupy hid out in his dressing room
0: <laughs>
2: like,
1: for, for a couple of days before it was clear that it's okay. Little Richard quit the show. He's out of there. But Terrorized
0: but he, by little Richard.
1: Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and exactly. Now again, that is that Soupy story of, of it. And, and Richard Richard's still here with us. Isn't exactly. He? Yeah. So he may have a different view on, <laughs> uh, on this, but um, he got suspended. He, he was a big, big hit. It, it was, again the time when there was this thing called live live television and live kids television hosted by an adult so you had Captain Kangaroo and Shari Lewis and and all these you know Chuck McCann and Soupy was on Channel 5 and at first they had him on 6 30 at night when the dads are home (laughs) so he's huge he's like the biggest star in the world and, and, and you know and and then New Year's Day but but still he couldn't get off on New Year's Day so New Year's Day 1965 he has a couple of minutes to fill at the end of his show and really look up Soupy on, on YouTube I can tell you so much where there's puppets there's pies there's a the whole thing there's shtick very very
0: vaudeville like right? yeah
1: very very you know, and, and, and all of that but I can only talk of my personal you know go find out about Soupy on, on TV I can tell you about about my, my dad Soupy as he became so he has like two minutes to the end of the show, and he has to fill. So he looks to the camera, and it's New Year's Day, nineteen sixty-five. He says, oh, "Kids, I know your parents are probably asleep, and shh, sh- sh- don't wake them. But I want you to go into their room, and go into your mom's purse and your dad's pocket, and take out the little green pieces of paper with pictures of men with." beards on them and send it to soupy sales care of of channel five and i'll send you a postcard from puerto rico and he gets hit in the face with a pie end of the show suspended
2: suspended
1: i don't know if it was one week or two weeks whatever it was longest longest time of my life to, the, to
0: that st- the story i always heard money was sent to him as well. Oh,
1: always to the day he died money was sent to him Kids aren't stupid. That's the <laughs> great thing about being a kid. You're not really stupid. So you know, you may be innocent and you may be ignorant of some things, that, uneducated. That was
0: a big scandal at the time. That was a big oh story, my god! Wasn't? Yes, it yeah. was huge. And kid and
1: and teenagers went to picket. Now I'm home in Long Island. I'm 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 at Long Island and I'm reading the newspaper. My heart is broken. Soupy's not on. I'm, I'm watching. Astro Boyers, whatever they're running, instead, and I read about these picketers who were who were among the group of teenagers who were there regularly to see Soupy's show and be in his audience. Brong! It's like a <laughs> light bulb goes off, and I'm like, you know, so long, Mama. I'm off to Yokohama. I the as soon as I can, May twenty seventh, nineteen sixty five. Ascension Thursday because I had off from eighth grade at St Hughes and a bunch of us from St Hughes went to channel 5 and went to the soupy sales show and that kicked off just the happiest time in my life when I was a teenager <laughs> a time that got me through rough times you know in in my family life but also later on became the most like fulfilling relationship of my life that worked out every day daddy issue i ever had every mommy issue i ever had any confusion about was it like right to follow this comedian everywhere for years and and from the time i mean i I would see his show and go in and see his show became a a regular we called the he called us the gang and um i i still have friendships
0: how how many people were in that group
1: 75 I'm from his last show, and I have home movies of this. Thanks. Is is it mostly
0: girls or is it mostly
1: girls? Mostly girls. Mostly white. Uh My my friend Barbara Williams was the no no. There were there were like three people of color. Uh Um, I'm I'm counting them on on one hand, (laughs) but all joined together by this worship of Soupy and the hierarchy of Soupy. Soupy did Here's your Here's your howard's the influence over Howard Stern. Okay. Soupy made his crew part of the show. You didn't see all these things. He would talk to them off camera. He would that. talk to them off camera cuz he didn't have any budget and the only other person on the show was Frank Nastasi, an actor who had worked with him um in detroit at wxyz who was the aforementioned actor who taught me how to kiss when i was 13 years old and yes he was pushing 50. all right let's just put it out there
0: (laughs) And he's long gone, right? Long gone. He won't be listening. He he
1: won't be listening. And and Frank, there's a lot of us. (laughs) There's a trail of broken lips that Frank Nastasi left among the gang. Um, But, you know, and it was just this this absolute worship of, of this man that was the focus of my life. And then... You know, when you start to be like a, a senior in high school, it starts to get a little sad. <laughs> but like his show got canceled. I have, again, home movies of us just sobbing. And and my life was, life as I knew it. You know, I was a fat, smart kid. Not the greatest thing to grow up, you know, any time. Yeah. And this gave me no, a fat, smart, needy... <laughs> talented look at me look at me look at me kid to be fair you know
0: What were you like in school? What what, what did the other I was students think? of you? Yeah. I was,
1: I, and and I always like had to be president of the of the um you know of the class fourth grade. I was always very shocked when I like wasn't president of the class. <laughs> I I was a teacher's pet. I was again very smart. This and, and and truly, I'm I'm getting to the real Kathy in just a moment. But you know, truly, it, this was all part of it, and and I really blossomed. In St. Hughes, I, I entered every talent show there ever was. I, I discovered my, you know, my
0: performance. What, what, what did you do as a talent?
1: I'm glad you asked. I lip synced to the song Adelaide's Lament, sung by Carol Burnett on her album, uh. Carol Burnett Remembers How They Stopped the Show. And I was brilliant. I just want to point out, I dressed, I, the first time I entered a talent show, I was nine. When I did this, and it was actually for summer recreation, that, that they, and I would wear a bathrobe, and I put curlers in my hair, and I had a big medical book, and I had tissues, and as soon as I walked out, I got a laugh before the song <laughs> even started. I won the first prize in the novelty category of the CYO, Catholic Youth Organization, <laughs> Long Island wide talent show in 1962. So that. Kathy's that's won a, a lot of the
0: awards since, and yet <laughs> okay. this one seems to have really stuck out and pleased her.
1: If I could somehow get one of these again, <laughs> I could picture it to this day. It's, you know. I had a very messed up family for a while. We imploded and moved on a regular basis, so this thing got broken and lost over the years. But, oh,
2: if I could find this again.
1: Yeah, you got to walk through two Peabody Awards just to get to the bathroom
2: in
0: my house. So,
1: yeah, I I am... I, I am a bit of a of, of an, an awards appreciator, yeah. shall we say?
0: <laughs> and Carol Burnett also a big inspiration.
1: Oh oh wow oh! You have seen my Soupy chair, which is from the Carol Burnett show. That has oh, really? it has her mouth, her chair. logo yeah. on on. You get to sit on her face, and then on the back, <laughs> it it says Soupy Sales because it's from one of his appearances on the Soupy Sales show. So, just to to. Supi and I reconnected, and truly, he and his wife Trudy became like my parents. That has to, that has to explain why what I'm about to, to say. So, and I made him laugh. I made him laugh when I was 13 years old, and he called me Okie, because I told him to sign the first autograph he ever signed to me, Okie, because I was damn sure he was going to remember my name. <laughs> I was determined. So, and and we got you know very very close you know over the years. And
0: but yeah, it was a pretty intense crew of these driven girls to to be around the whole. We
1: figured out he would say, "Oh, I'm going to L.A. to do the Carol Burnett show," and we would figure out this before computers. This is 1960 something, and we would figure out what flight he was going to take based on whatever matrix we had going on. Of and and my friends were all going to become secretaries, so somehow this became (laughs) like you know part of their skill set, and we would figure out and and. Thank God our parents were crazy. Either my mother or my friend Jackie French's mother would drive us to the airport at Kennedy Airport and leave us there. <laughs> and we would basically wait for, you know, okay, he's gotta show up sometime. And and in fact, it was Jackie, Sherry, Donna, Oki. It was the four of us. We became like the ones really stalked him everywhere. And um, it truly was this this community. There were hoods. <laughs> They're, they were what we used to call hoods at the time. Very high, ratted hair. Girls. Yes. Yeah, Joni, Debbie, and Teresa. They were very, very hoodie. Very <laughs> hoodie. A lot of makeup. Wore a lot of makeup. This is also when I'm 13, for, okay, 13 through 17. So 13, 14, I'm at Channel 5 as much as I can possibly be. And I'm, a, I'm you know, in public school at this point, And I've got all these girls who are wearing makeup and smoking cigarettes. And these are my friends I'm somebody <laughs> in this bunch and I used to entertain the line before we were going into the um, to see the show there would be a you know, line of people to um, go in and see the show and Jeff Cohen who is one of the only guys who hung out by Soupy um, he and I would do an act. We would just do jokes and sing, and, and 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 I still do this. If you've ever been in line at WXPN events, I work the line. <laughs> so we 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 would do that. It, it's like my my whole life is is like telescoped into these a you know, few years as a teenager.
0: So the, the show gets gets canceled though. Finally, In 1966. 1966, It gets canceled.
1: Now, again, this is a Soupy story. We all thought it was the management, Mel Bailey, a.k.a. Fats Bailey, at Channel 5, who was getting rid of him, so we would boo every time Fats Bailey walked down the street. <laughs> you know, we were... But in, in his, again, in his book, which is the same place he alleges the Little Richard story, um, Soupy says that, you know, he had enough. He had enough, and he he really was pretty big, at the time he was doing he um he did a TV special uh with with Judy Garland and well, I just spoiled it. It's Judy Garland and Ernest Borgnine. We won't tell you
0: anybody. <laughs> yeah, you should see the clip for that. It's pretty yeah. great. Yeah yep,
1: yeah. yep. And I was there I was there for rehearsals and there for it live and, and
0: um especially for Borgnine fans.
1: Yes. Oh yes. <laughs> oh my god, yes. And, um, you know, he did every, there were still a lot of shows being done in New York then. So he was doing Password and, and the Merv Griffin show, but also the Steve Lawrence show and the Sammy Davis Jr. show. And Joan Rivers had um, like an afternoon talk show that, that he did. So we would just go to everything. The Tonight Show was still being done out of New York. Wow. So, um, and, I mean, and I mean, there were certain shows you knew you could get into. And, and they, you know, like they would do five shows a, a day, you know, hanging out at 30 Rock when you're 14 years old, hanging out all day, you know where the bathrooms are. It, it's kind of nice.
0: Wow. And he did some stage work, too.
1: He did indeed. He did, um, well, his, his first and only Broadway show, which I went to. I went to opening. There's nothing like a bunch of teenagers on Long Island. <laughs> Ordering a limo, dressing up and ordering a limo <laughs> to go to opening night of a Broadway show. He did a comedy called "Come Live with Me." a Very short run, I think, a couple of weeks. Uh-huh. Uh, but which he later did in stock who, as who well. Was in it? Oh, Hannah Bork. Uh, oh, oh, Sorrell Book, Nan Martin. I'm trying to. Get, there actually were people who were like, you know, famous. Samuel <laughs> uh,
0: Boss Hog, Boss Hog, yeah.
1: and and also known for touring in Fiorello very uh, often. V- my my favorite Broadway show.
0: Very good. And Bye Bye Braverman is the John Ford loving film critic. Yeah,
1: very good. <laughs> Listen to you. Um, and and I don't think anyone y- Yvonne Constant. She was always there. <laughs>
0: was it a romantic comedy
1: yeah it was about a guy okay um, you know in that two weeks I think I saw it three times I should remember more than I do Soupy was Soupy was Don Draper he was like an advertising guy or a writer or something like that and he wanted to get an au pair it was all built around the idea of an au pair which was a very unusual thing at the time and I, it, there were a lot of women. It was like a bedroom force, ah. which again I saw this when I was 14. What do I remember about this <laughs> about this thing? But um, and then he toured a lot in stock. I saw him. I saw him in. Um, he did the Mineola Playhouse. He did Star Spangled Girl. Oh. He did um, Guys and Dolls in St. Louis, which I didn't go to. Who did he play? he played Nathan Detroit. I yeah. have footage of that cuz Donna went to that. It was um and in fact it was a mixed race cast because Barbara McNair the the singer played uh Sarah Brown and Jean, Jean Jane Keane uh, the late era honeymooners to, uh Trixie played Miss Adelaide and I don't remember the the name of, of who played Sky Masterson but, but if yes if you ever come over and see my home movies you can <laughs> see them um, he did sugar he um, did, did sugar in stock and my favorite because I spent my college money to see him was he did Finian's Rainbow in Atlanta in 1968 yeah that was my favorite
0: so after so as you graduate high school yeah really go into the next period of your life
1: well, well and again i have to get back to this was the this was what i during a time i called the dark time which my family just completely shattered from between 1968 and 1976 my family shattered and then people started dying one right after the other. So like truly this awful, awful time.
0: Your father was a, a policeman. right? He was a
1: retired New York City cop. And the reason I'm laughing is because I found out through like Ancestry.com and all those genealogy things that you do that maybe he got in trouble at one point. But, but the cops take care of their own. And yeah. I grew up with this. And it's the fact that um yeah my father uh was a motorcycle cop who was in a very bad accident and retired on a pension and he had had um he was on desk duty and in fact one of the um, guys who was a cop with him was barney martin the actor barney Um, martin seinfeld's father in the original cast of chicago he's in the soupy sales special (laughs) He's in that that show with Ernest nine Always remembered my dad. Always remembered Big Tom. And later on, I found out. Well, as I and, and my father always said, he's in the producers. He's in, in the original cast in the movie, the producers. But we're all Germans. That's Barney Martin. So, um, and my father used to say, well, the, the the cops finally said to him, you know, here, you're either going to be. An actor. You got to decide. You're going to be an actor, or you're going to be a policeman. So you know, he retired. And and no, I'm reading a book about the quiz show scandals. Many many years later, <laughs> and they they're talking about a show called Treasure Hunt, and they had they had New York City cops who were guarding the the you know the prizes, and one of them was Barney Martin, and. He was on the take from the producers, from the uh, producers of the show at this so time.
0: Caught up in the game show scandal? Yes.
1: And this is the latter part of it. This is after all the worst of it was over. <laughs> this was like when it was supposed to be getting, you know, all cleaned up. And he still got his pension.
2: <laughs>
1: My father, who was in a bit of trouble, it turns out this. This like vague memory I have. Of what was like, your
0: father's trouble? You gonna... Well, I'm I'm
1: gonna get to it, better, <laughs> but I always had this vague idea that this vision of I'm a little kid and I'm at the end of a hallway, and the policemen are taking my daddy away. But I knew that couldn't have been real because my daddy, but he was a policeman. Well, I find out many years later uh, um, that okay, my dad. Was He He was in the Army for a long time. He was 12 years in the Army, so he was very involved with veterans organizations. He was there before the war, like from 1933 to, to 35, he, to 45. He was in the, the, the Army, and then he went from being in the Army to being New York City cop, and then he's in this accident, and he's retired. Somehow, every motorcycle cop in the NYPD in 1955... 5455 was involved with a courtesy card scam which was you get stopped by a motorcycle policeman you show this card it says hey don't don't give this guy a ticket <laughs> and my father and a bunch of other veterans and motorcycle cops were selling these things my father was evidently the the Bill Gates of courtesy cards.
0: <laughs> so
1: so and and he, and in fact, that's where I got my first press.
0: Courtesy cards. I like that's that. what they're called. Euphemism. Oh yeah.
1: Oh, oh, look them up. And I think they still have the you know, like. You still find like a, a later You're very references to them. courteous
0: to give me a ticket. Yes. you have
1: me here, please. <laughs> and my mother to always tried to get out of of tickets by you know invoking my father. <laughs> Who she was never very nice to, but she was but you know, she used his name enough, so um so this dream that I thought I had turns out, well, it must have been true because this is around the right time because my brother is really an infant, and I'm a toddler because we're sixteen months apart, and I found all this paper, you know all all these newspaper articles about all these people who these guys who had been arrested, including veteran, you know, Thomas O'Connell, the father of two infant children, which is my first press. That was (laughs) my first press. New York Times, baby. And he, they had him on $50,000 bail. 1955. He hasn't murdered anybody. Wow. This is a courtesy card scam. And and you know how like you piece together mysteries. My family's dead. There's nobody who can <laughs> tell me anything. And you piece together and they figured my father would squeal on whoever else was involved. But aha, the cops take care of their own. So somehow at some point. And I'm sure my mother's very happy because my father's out of the house and she, you know, but um, she, I, I go through, you know, other newspaper articles and, and there was like, oh, well, they've applied to have his bail reduced and, and, evidently he was in jail for a while and eventually they they did reduce it to five thousand dollars bail which i'm sure my grandmother came up with and i believe that's why i wound up growing up on long island we lived in bayside at this point in queens Mm -hmm. and we wound up moving out to suffolk county long island and i believe my mother said and my mother whenever they would fight which was a lot at some point my mother if she wanted to end everything she would go Just remember that trouble you got into with Don Goodrich. And Don Goodrich, that was one of the names (laughs) of one of the cops. So I believe my mother must have one at one point said, You did this to me. You're getting me a house in the suburbs, pal. And I think that's how we got we wound up, you know, winding up out on Long Island. But but it never lost his pension. Had his pension. Okay, there's not I don't want to incriminate anybody, but. Let's just say he had his pension to the day he died and beyond. (laughs) The cops take care of their own.
0: You got out of high school. Yeah. Your parents both passed away with it. A-
1: no, no, no. Okay. My grandmother died in 1970. But at one point, my mother and I moved out of what my father referred to as the big house. And my father, my grandmother, who was my mother's mother, and my brother all lived in the house. And we didn't speak to each other like for a year and a half. We reconnect. We're O'Connells. We're crazy. We reconnect. And remember, my grandmother's the only person who ever really liked me. So this was like really a little bit of a problem for me. But, um, and, and we reconnect. And then two months later, my grandmother dies. My grandmother trips over a kitten and dies, which leads to the cat that killed my grandmother. That's that. Are you the cat that killed my grandmother? And then, oh, so, um, Grand dies 1970, my father uh, dies the day after Thanksgiving 1972, eight months later my brother Tommy dies in a motorcycle accident 1973, and three years later my mother is hit by a drunken driver in a coma for two weeks, and, um, and she dies, and I move into Manhattan, and God please don't strike me dead right now for saying this, but truly my life really begins. Wow. You know, it yeah. really, the worst awful, I wish this on no one, and I really wish my true family were alive to see how great my life got. But <laughs> it really got great once I moved into <laughs> Manhattan, and, and, you know, it was just me. Wow. And yeah. a couple of cats.
0: I mean, was it was it sort of freeing not to have all these people with their expectations of you, or?
1: <sighs> Do you know what the big expectations were? What? And remember, it's of the time that at some point you're going to lose weight because that really was the most important thing. I was not a girl; I was a fat girl, yeah. and also that you found a man and got married. And I was fixated on that in a in a way of rescue me. And I didn't realize what that that's what I wanted was being rescued. I could have like joined movie societies or something. I, I but I was just fixated on being rescued by this. Awful, awful situation, and it turns out fate wound up rescuing me by killing everyone who ever loved me. <laughs> it's
0: awful. So you start anew in Manhattan. Yeah, too. for
1: real. I mean, I'm still a secretary, and 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 again, I had not.
0: You went to secretarial school. Right? I did. I went
1: to I, when my grandmother, my grandmother's insurance money, like my my, uh-huh. my dead grandmother's insurance money. I'm a big fan of insurance money. That will become clear very shortly. But um, my, my dead grandmother's insurance money paid for me to go to Adelphi Business School and I am a wonderful typist and I can still do shorthand, which came in very handy at some staff meetings when I wasn't too crazy, back when I wasn't too crazy about my boss and I could like write terrible things about him. and nobody knew what I was I was writing. And, and I worked for the Institute of Life Insurance for a woman in education services, for a woman named Helen Fall. And um, education services, Miss O'Connell. And um, and that's what I was doing when my mother got in her accident and died. And everybody at the Institute of Life Insurance, like with one voice, kept saying, you have to get a lawyer, you have to get a lawyer. Now, my mother's in a coma. I'm a little busy, you know, right now, kind of being held up by my friends and... and um, including being taken out to a diner, my, my best friend took me out to a diner one night because I was basically living at the hospital. I got no money. I got no car because my mother's car has, has been totaled. And I basically got moved into the ICU at Brunswick Hospital in, in Amityville for for two weeks. And one night my, my best friend Trisha took me to the diner and we drank Brandy Alexander's and ate pancakes. And so I walk in, you know, that night for visiting hours, drunk as a skunk on Brandy Alexander's and pancakes. And my mother's lying there in a coma. with all these tubes that are like, hi, Emma, how you doing? So that was very liberating. But <laughs> but yeah, there's there is a line from All About Eve that really sums up my life at this point. Because my mother's in a coma. I find out she hasn't paid the rent for four months. Oh, in addition, she had been working two jobs. And stealing my checkbook and forging my name (laughs) mom i still love you (laughs) you know so it
0: it was a little complicated character very
1: oh yes oh to put it mildly you know so yeah so um and and the lawyer said well here's the deal either it if if your mother lives great you know but she's not going to be doing well and you're going to have to take care of her and you can't be traipsing back and forth from Long Island all the time. And if she dies, you, you know, again, you got no home because you're you're about to be evicted, but because your mother hasn't paid the rent in four <laughs> months. So um, I made plans like immediately to move into Manhattan while my mother was still alive, while my mother was still in the um, in in the coma, and um, you know, got the apartment on 94th and Lexington. So she's not dead yet. I find out when her best friend comes to pick me, and at this point, I'm not answering the phone anymore because the super from our apartment, who has gotten fired for letting my mother slide for four months, her <laughs> children are calling me to harass me at night while my mother's in a coma, while I'm in, in the ICU unit all day long at Brunswick Hospital. So, um, my my you know my my mother dies. And I, I have to go and identify her body in, in the hospital. And I, and I come home and there's an eviction notice on the door. The line from All About Eve is, what a story. Everything but the bloodhound snapping at a rear end. And it's my life in 1976. So, yeah. and And, again, two jobs to this day. Her girlfriends and I sat around you know, every night after the wake trying to figure out what she did with her money. Because she worked two jobs, you know, and still and stole from <laughs> me. And still there was, you know, we, we were four months behind in, in in rent. But I, you know, two jobs, two two full time jobs meant two life insurance policies died as a result of an accident means double indemnity is more than a movie (laughs) and i and there was a lawsuit you know because she was hit by a drunken driver so there i am not again i'd rather have my mother because she's my mother you know come on but i i Money changes everything, yeah, and it yeah. really it 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 helped finance my career because I I, I was a stand-up comic for a while.
0: So, I, yep. It, when when did you pursue that? Audition? Okay, that, that was
1: almost immediately. In fact, before her accident, I had gone to catch a rising star for the first time. This is when, too. Yo, know, it was um, catch a rising star in the improv comic strip. wasn't open yet.
0: What year? Is, uh, what year? This, uh, this is seventy
1: six. This 76. is it, it, spring of seventy six. Before you so had like in february or so 76 and saturday night live was new saturday night live was still new and i was swept up in that and and i went to catch a rising star and i was like you know i i think i could do this i, I think i could and i had started like maybe it was the germ of an idea then and um gets in the accident and and so after i got you know buried my mother and got kind of you know used to the idea that this is now my life i um i got show business you know magazine and I um, wound up auditioning at open mics, and I played in a club called Mingles, which is downtown. I played at the comic strip before Eddie Murphy was there, because he's way younger than I am. <laughs> I, I did get on at the uh, several times at, at the comic wow. strip, but then I fell in love. Oh. <laughs> you see? You know?
0: <laughs> was there anybody around these clubs that you, you remember? Oh, wow.
1: I'm tr- no. Gre- Greg Monaghan, I don't think ever. Elaine Boozler was in it. And, and Elaine, I'm sorry, I think I, I did steal a joke from you. And, and I apologize now because somebody called me on it and they were right. Um, no, I, th- I think that was yeah. really uh, Richard uh, you know, Belzer was the, um, the MC, uh, MC at Catch a Rising Star. Um, Paul Schaefer. Was the uh, piano player at Catch a Rising Star later Eddie Rabin, because Paul Schaefer had switched over to Saturday Night Live, you know, eventually? And actually, I wound up um, after I moved into the city, and I'm all by myself. I mean, I'm still working at the Institute of Life Insurance, you know, and I so mm-hmm. I have some friends, but I'm really kind of I'm, I'm Anne Marie, that girl. I'm you know, <laughs> discovering New York, the half price ticket line when it was still affordable broadway shows and and all that and every saturday i would panhandle tickets to saturday night live i would go to 30 rock this is my old soupy training coming through (laughs) and i would go to 30 rock and i would kind of go up to you don't have an extra ticket do you and for for dress rehearsals i usually got a ticket i usually got in so i did that and then i fell in love with um in fact a musician that i met at my first audition at mingles who was that It was a guy a guy named norman bergen mm-hmm. who was the arranger of knock three times in candida for tony, uh, tony orlando and dawn. and dawn and at the time he was married oh. well he's been married several times since then and finally <laughs> finally very very happy uh but he also wound up being the um he was a musical director for Let My People Come, both off-Broadway and on-Broadway. The, the
0: sexually and, explicit play. Oh, my
1: God, yes. And in fact, that's how we
2: saw...
1: I saw that play a zillion times because that was the only way we saw each other was that he was doing this this play in in, in Manhattan. <laughs> um, and then later, after we did wind up together and and living together, he was the uh, music director for Oak Calcutta. Oh. Anything where people took their clothes off. <laughs> Norm Yo for for a nice Jewish boy from Brooklyn, man, it's not a bad gig playing piano in plays where people are taking their clothes off and dancing around. (laughs) He's a great
0: player and he could do it without pants.
1: Thank you. Exactly. And he became, actually, he's the reason I wound up going to the disco convention because he was a a disco producer as well. He produced a band called Moment of Truth. Sure.
0: Moment Uh, of uh, Truth. What was that? Helplessly. Helplessly. And you
1: got me humming. Mm Mm-hmm. You got me humming, humming. So they had a gig <laughs> lower, like way down in Manhattan, like maybe in Soho someplace in July 1977, July 14th, 1977. And they go in to plug the amp. And all of a sudden, it's all dark because it's a blackout.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that was a big year. That was, that blackout. was, yep, yep. I have so. a real romance for Manhattan in that era. Uh, I was a kid, I guess, watching Saturday Night Live and and uh, that whole world of the sort of multicultural mix of uh, all sorts of funky and unusual, eccentric people yeah, and places Yeah, Son of and Sam. Uh. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, but,
1: really, it really was. Because other people have asked me about that too. They're like, you know, you hear all these things about um, New York in the 70s. And, and I was like, it was magical. Yeah. It was magical because I was young. And that's the thing now. Nobody can afford to be young and broke in Manhattan anymore. Yeah, yeah. And everybody, I mean, Kurt Vonnegut, or, or falsely attributed to Kurt Vonnegut, <laughs> said everybody should live in New York once. And, well, you know, people just can't do that anymore.
0: No, no. And, and the, 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 so much of the character of the place has changed. Oh, really, my God, really yes.
1: Yeah. It, it, you know, you got to go out to Brooklyn and no, I know Manhattan. Manhattan makes sense to me. I, I, you know, made Manhattan makes absolute sense to me, and then eventually, I wound up just volunteering at WBAI. I, Norm and I broke up. I, I wound up moving to another part of Manhattan, and
0: BIA, B-I-A was. Public radio completely supported by the public. Completely.
1: No. Com- true community radio. It was yeah. owned by Pacifica at that time. I came in late after the strike because there yeah. was a, a big strike in, in but, 1977.
0: But the, the, the the most leftist station oh, on yes. the aisle in New York City. Oh my God. Rabble
1: rousers. And it was also the one that went to the Supreme Court for the right to broadcast <sighs> George Carlin Seven Words You Can't Say on television. Right, yeah. And um, I, I wound up volunteering um to answer phones uh during three mile island you know because you want to step in to a crisis during three mile island and it really was a moment of honey i'm home not since the soupy sales show and the gang and that community did i feel so immediately i am part of this this feels comfortable and i did not do serious political programming. <laughs> I was more kind of the reception riffraff. We were the people who hung out in reception and basically kept the the place going by filling in for people who didn't show up in the middle of the night, which is how I got, did my first radio shows, Um, running the elevator to get people up to to, we were on the 19th floor then because um, they were, there used to be, WBAI used to be in this old church on East 62nd Street and there was a big strike and, and, you know, again, read read a book called Playing in the FM Band by Steve Post and, and and learn more about that but um i came in after that i came in after everything was good <laughs> and they were on eighth <laughs> avenue and 35th street you know in in 1979 and um i i just i wound up being at home I, it's what, just the most wonderful place on earth
0: what sort of shows were on bai at the time
1: a lot of live radio and just people talking and not really hardcore political as much as maybe cultural or just having conversations lynn samuels lynn samuels was um used to talked like marge simpson but <laughs> she was engaging and funny and truly became like my radio mentor crazy as a loon crazy as a loon to this day I run into folk, folkies who I know like back from Folk City who I'll say, oh, we met years ago you know, through Lynn Samuels and there's a pause where I have to say I hadn't seen her for years. You know, like really, believe me. Because she's dead now. So, you know, and I'm sure she'll haunt me tonight. But she was, she was crazy as a loon. Um, and, but incredibly, incredibly talented. And there was, you know, cultural programming in the golden age of radio. And eventually I worked my way up you know running the elevator and, and filling in and, <laughs> and you have and, a regular show on? and i have a regular show called what? rosebud and what, i'm what's I'm, on your show what do you do oh just talk about old tv and my um my theme song i had two different theme songs for a long time it was i'm tired from the movie blazing saddles <laughs> sung by by madeline Kahn. Um, where I would, yeah, and I'd turn the pot down, the the mic pots down, and at the end sing along with "I've been with thousands of men, again and again. They start with Byron and Shelley, then jump on your belly and bust your balloons, and just like really just fun bozo radio. So we we just basically you know. Would do improvisational stuff, a lot of call-ins, and and you know just idiot radio. I was on the air. I, I was babysitting a tape. I was babysitting of a, a tape of a jazz show called Salt Peanuts. There was a, a WBAI staff meeting going on, and I, I'm I'm babysitting a, a tape, which means you um you have to stay in the control room. And just you're you're signed on. You used to have to sign the on the log to say somebody's legally responsible for for what's going out on, on the radio. And um, my friend and Bob called on one of the on airlines to, um, not airlines but on air lo- phone lines, to um, to say that their announcement just came over that John Lennon got shot, oh, wow. and um, and then another friend of mine calls and says. Have you heard about this? Like you know what they're reporting and I said there's nothing. There's nothing coming in on AP. They're all at a staff meeting, you know, but and and nothing has come in yet. And and since two people who I really trust and who are not going to lie to me just for the sake of lying to me, I interrupt the show. And, and I say, you know, we're, we're just getting these first reports and, and, and all that, that that John Lennon ha- has been shot. Keep listening to WBAI. You know, Leonard Lopate will be up next and, and have more uh, about it. And right away, the public affairs director at BAI calls me on, I get on the hotline. What are you announcing, O'Connell? And I said, Well, you know, people are calling me and telling me this is going. Did it come over the way? No, it didn't come over. It's WB, you know. And and he's like, Well, I live right near the Dakota and I haven't heard anything. Oh, well then. I I, I let me just go out and, and uh, oops, my bad. I I guess I was wrong. Okay, so and that was it. Paul, oh by the spoiler alert, John Lennon was dead. <laughs> you know. Not a rumor. Not a rumor. Oh, and and Truly, BAI listeners were the most, confront- they could be the most confrontational people in the world. One caller, like, so you know, we're all doing our memorial shows for John Lennon because we can. One caller was saying, well, I just never heard too much, be- much Beatles on BA, and you're all carrying on now. And, and Lynn was on and said... You know, Kathy O'Connell uses Stand By Me by John Lennon as her <laughs> outro every week. You know, I play the Beatles, but it was like, oh, you're not lefty enough for me.
2: <laughs> well, don't pick it, it'll never heal. But
1: yeah, I I was at um I was at WBAI until 1981. I decided to move to California because it was a rule in radio that if you want to get into New York radio, you have to leave New York. So, I I went out and I lived there for about a year and a half, realized within about 2 weeks what a mistake I had made leaving the <laughs> East Coast. And actually when um it was when I went to see my favorite year in the movies, and
0: a New York film. Yeah, I
1: just started crying. Yeah. I just started, and I was like, "Oh, I gotta go home. I gotta go home." And so <laughs> they were
0: putting on a show back in New York in that yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. Kathy wasn't there.
1: Oh my god, and and like you know, and my phone bills were enormous, and just you know, just get me out of here. So I, I was there for a while, but I learned to do commercial radio.
0: Did you feel like a New Yorker on the West always, Coast kind of thing?
1: Always <laughs> and and a pig effort New Yorker, as my roommate used to say. My roommate from Marin used to like. They really did not like New Yorkers. I was warned by uh, and again one of my friends when I was living in the San Joaquin Valley about how you're going to have to you know stop yelling. And you, know, you have to learn to talk slower. I, no, no, I don't. I, and I'm thinking, no, what I need to do is go back to
0: New York. Is what
1: I need to do.
0: So, so how long did you last on the West Coast?
1: Eighty-one till okay, fall of eighty-one until spring of eighty-three.
0: So, no. just just your California time, you put yeah. it in, and, yeah, yeah.
1: And and you know, if I had money. <laughs> and, and i love it do you want a pillow or something oh, no, I'm good. okay um i i i love california i and in my soul i know i mean i've had people who have met me in new york who think i'm from california but everyone i love is on the east coast <laughs> you know I, I, I i'm gonna be here forever yeah, And some some version thereof. So I came back and I started working at WNYC. I got a job through one of my WBAI friends. Um, I got a job at WNYC. I wound up being an engineer on, on Senior Edition and working for the meanest man I have ever worked for in my life. Um, a guy named Larry Miller, not the comedian. <laughs> and just a horrible, horrible human being. And since I was... New Kid on the Block. He had me do all kinds of crap, including editing for Weekend Broadcast, a live children's show that he was doing. That's my dog. Thank you. Okay, a live children's show, three-hour. He was doing a three-hour nightly children's show called Small Things Considered. And he was doing it with a woman named Barbara Rosen, whose husband Barry Rosen was one of the Iranian hostages. And one of my jobs, and no you're not going to get paid extra for it, it's one of the things you do was to edit Small Things Considered every week into Weekend Small Things Considered. So I got to listen to a lot of Small Things Considered and kind of hear some of the songs that they were playing. And then one night, I don't know, it's Small Things, and not Small, um, Senior Edition has ended, and the next show has come on, and Small Things Considered was on at 6.30, started at 6.30, and all All Things Considered was on. So I'm just like, again, I'm babysitting the radio station, which is what I do a lot. <laughs> Larry and Barbara walk in, Go to the cabinet that's behind where I'm sitting and start pulling out records and pulling out headphones and saying, "Let them try, let them try to do this without us." Like, and and pulling stuff. And I'm sitting. Remember, I was raised by wolves. I am used to people fighting around me and screaming and yelling. And I sit back and watch and figure out which team I'm going to come down on. <laughs> and these, you know, this man I do not like at all is clearly having a hard time. So they they buy all, you know, and then they take all these records out and. And then Mary Perot Nichols, who was the head of WNYC, Larry Orfali, the program director of NYC AM, and some other guy I don't remember, walk into the studio after Larry and Barbara are gone, and Larry says to me, I need you to help us out. (laughs) And I said, what do you want? He goes we need you to stay here and run the board because we're going to try to pull together a kids show tonight because Larry and Barbara just left. And I said, you let me talk and I'll do anything you want. (laughs) And that was the first night I did programming for kids. Again, you know – I had grown up on soupy sales. I was always the babysitter, you know. So I knew I was. I was going to be a teacher when I was. So uh-huh. I knew how to, you know, how to talk to kids. But um, halfway through, and and we, I sent people out, like you know, to get. I said, get a record by Peter Allsop. Get a record by because I knew these names because Barbara and Larry had played some of them but they also went out and got 1984 by Van Halen, um, Cindy Lauper She's So Unusual um, I think I also said and and the next day I brought in my set of Dr. Demento albums that I had played on WBAI and um, halfway through the show the first night I said to, to Larry I said I want to do this to Larry Orfley I want to do this I really want to do this and they wouldn't let me do it by myself Uh, I had to do it in partnership with Larry Orfully and for the first more than the first year I was still a board operator so I was co-hosting this kid's show small things considered running the board running the board and and you've You've been with me, Dan. I am not the most technically <laughs> adept person, but this is back when you you know, you cut tape and you you know yeah, yeah. You had the grease pencil and all that. and I could do that, and um, Small Things Considered. Uh, the yeah we we ran like for another year. We won a Peabody Award. Hmm. My Small Things Considered <laughs> won a Peabody what did, Award.
0: What did Larry Orfalea bring to the to the the duo?
1: A male voice.
0: Oh. <laughs> it doesn't sound like much.
1: He no no that I am so you know I am not being fair I am punishing Larry for circumstances. Larry is a great guy. Um, You could still smoke in the studio then, so that's most of my remembrances. He would talk about the Dodgers. He um, he was my straight man. Yeah, he really you know that's what he brought, and it really was valuable. Mm -hmm. And you know he he really that that's what he brought. He was he was my straight man, so. they decide after the Peabody that I don't get to accept Mary pro Nichols accepts. And I'm sitting in the back of the room, but Hey, you know, I have a job, frankly, (laughs) and that's, that's what I'm happy with. And they wound up making changes. They said, okay, if we're going to do this, let's do it right. Let's do it as a national show. They brought in an NPR producer named Keith Talbot, who had been who wound up mentoring Ira Glass, who wound up working on my show eventually. <laughs> but um, they said we're going to go from three hours because the three hours too part of it was running NPR tapes and running ET and you know running stuff like that. Um, the Star Wars uh, radio broadcast, radio series uh, that that Broadway, sort of thing yeah. from BBC America or from rather from BBC. They said what we're going to do is we're going to make it an hour and a half daily, we're cut and a half. And we're going to offer it nationally. And here we have this guy Keith Talbot, and um, he's going to produce it. So we make Kids America, and we offer it nationally. And it really was a lovely time. It really was. I got a slight hike in in sal- slight hike in salary, and um, you know they uh, offered us nationally. We wound up being on in twenty eight markets. I wound up doing appearances at uh, Stone Zoo in Boston. I have kids that I'm still, who still post on my Facebook page who grew up listening to me on Small Things Considered and and <laughs> and, and on um, Kids America. If Again, as you pass the um, Peabody Awards on the way up to my bathroom, there's also a poster from when I ran for president in 1984 that was made by a kid named Jenny Schneier whose uncle is... Howard Ashman. Howard Ashman, Alan Menken, the one who's alive. Alan Menken. Alan
2: Menken.
1: Alan Menken. Sorry, Howard. Sarah, sorry, dead Howard Ashman. But Alan Menken. And Alan Menken and Howard Ashman at that time had just, they were just working on her, had just done Little Shop of Horrors. Okay. And she sent me a cassette of her uncle playing the piano and her singing. <laughs> and, she, he, and, and the big deal, it came with a note that said, you cannot, cannot, cannot identify who that is because of union rules. It was, you know, because he's taken it very seriously. So a little, you know, I still have a connection with, with some of my, <laughs> my Kids America listeners. And then, um, and we had funding from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. So we were able to pay people. We had this huge staff of phone answerers and um, associate producers. And we had like, maybe a half a million dollar budget wow you know it really was a huge huge operation we were in the new york times and and so then it gets to be december 1987 and the corporation for public broadcasting doesn't renew our funding huh. and the show's going to get canceled
0: any idea why that happened you got me was it maybe just budget cuts in the late Reagan years? Could or? Have,
1: it, it could have been, or just, you know, I don't know. I'm not sure. Here's a bitter disgruntled ex-employee. <laughs> I don't believe they they marketed or promoted it properly. I also don't think it was a, a time when public radio was all that open to a show that still, the sound of Kids America was very different from wound up being Kids Corner. Uh-huh. Um, there was a lot of pop music, a lot of Michael Jackson, a lot of Weird Al Yankovic, which continued on on Kids Corner. But like we weren't going to play like a Virgin by Madonna, so we'd play like a Surgeon, like yeah. um, you know by Weird Al, that kind of stuff. So and a lot of a lot of stations that we offered it to were like, oh no, we're not going to play that rock and roll in our format. So that there <laughs> there was a lot of that. However. There was a station in Philadelphia. Before we got canceled, in September 1987, Mark First, the then general manager at WXPN, took took Kids America, started running Kids America. He came to visit the show, came came to see us in New York. And he liked something. I'm getting to that point in a second. <laughs> And uh, so we started, he started carrying the show on WXPN in, in Philadelphia. So then December comes along and we make the announcement. Oh, we are no more. We're, we're going to end. You know, Christmas Eve was going to be our last live show. And um, New Year's Eve was going to be our last show, you know, after a, a week of being on tape and when the announcement went out and after we finished the drinking and the crying that afternoon (laughs) when mary nichols called us into her office um to to announce that you know we'll be canceling the show and all that i think the next day i got a call from mark first from philadelphia and saying look basically you're the show you want to come to philadelphia and try to do a kid show here on wxpn and because I had a fear of unemployment, like you wouldn't believe, <laughs> I said, sure, I'll give Philly a year. Yeah, why not? Because I figure, well, you know, either we're gonna be national in five years again. Or I'll give Philly a year and I'll go back, but I don't want to be unemployed. I don't want to do it, and so I wound up wound up coming to Philadelphia. Jan- December thirty first, nineteen eighty seven, was the last Kids America, and January fourth, nineteen eighty eight, was the first Kids Corner. Well played. Yes, yes. Thank you, Mark. First.
0: They were doing big changes at the station. And the station then was much more of a community-oriented kind. It was of, more like uh, BAI. BAI. exactly. Yeah.
1: And they saw me as this interloper from national media, and you know, coming in to destroy their lives and you may remember the music director back there a guy named Mike Morrison and i yes. mentioned mike because it was very creative mark first put together a very creative team of people so including me and so there was a picture of me in the in the Philadelphia Daily News and mark had posted it on the bulletin board on the third floor by the studios at xpn and i came up to do kids corner that night And there were little pinholes in my face (laughs) little tiny pinholes and mike morrison to this day i saw mike morrison like 10 years ago and he's like still still with the pinholes in the face you want to let go of that already you're still here they're gone oh i had people who would corner me 19 years later at events i was at my godson's school a woman would corner me to argue with me about the changes at WXPN <laughs> and and I would say you know please understand I'm from WBAI I get it I get that community I get what you're talking about but she was such like an evil horrible person about it yeah, because yeah. she was going, don't talk to me about radio I know radio and I said no you know how to play records
2: <laughs>
1: you know like please stop with the weird because we you know for many many years I have said our bumper sticker should be WXPN we ain't curing cancer here
2: <laughs> but but
1: there were a lot of people who really felt like they were you know, curing cancer instead of listening to to music
0: yeah yeah how did how did you end up uh meeting robert drake the
1: was... next day yeah. thank god <laughs> january 5th 1988 he showed up as a volunteer because he said you sounded like you needed me <laughs> and he was working in a wawa and going to like electrical school uh, wow. at the time and misfits of science find each other and he started volunteering as a producer no money no nothing for a really long time he would like parlay his way into doing other things that it would at least get him paid but eventually robert just you know you know follow your bliss robert you know figured i have a role here so you know, slept on the floor, and and it, you know, we really did you know create something, and and even before that, it was so funny because XPN that first weekend before the first show was ever on, XPN brought me down for the weekend and put me up in a hotel, Penn Towers, and I am very big on being put up in a hotel, I have to I have to say, and um, I got a call there from a guy named Mike Wildbacker. Oh sure, and science guy, science who eventually became the science guy. He's like, hi, you don't know me, but I was supposed to be a guest on Kids America, and I was going to talk about, uh, I was going to talk about dinosaurs because that's my field, and I live in Philly, and I know we could really work well together, and he has been the all natural science guy on Kids Corner ever since. So I met him by phone even before I, I met Robert and people kind of have come organically and stayed over the years
0: so how, how did you mold what the, what the the show in, in New York was into the show that, that you you know you were the I was the show I okay
1: first of all, there is a scene in Funny girl <laughs> where and you've seen Funny Girl I hope yes because I don't want to have to throw you yes. out of my house right now um, and they and Eddie, asks, is is ready to let Fanny go on stage because he's written a new number and it's got roller skating in it. You can roller skate, can't you? And she <laughs> says, can I roller skate? Which of course she can't. And, and in the next scene, he, he says, I thought you said you could skate. She said, I didn't know I couldn't. <laughs> and basically, my attitude toward being the producer and creator of, of Kids' Corner was, can I roller skate? I could pull. Sure, I could pull all this together, because put a microphone in front of me and I can go on all day. Put put an old sick dying comedian in front of me in the hospice. I could go all day and talk.
0: How I, long did you did improvisation with the improvisational groups and things too along the way? Didn't oh you? yeah, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. We had
1: had them in. You know, it, it's.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think you had a story that you, you worked with Bruce Willis at some point.
1: Oh, yes, thank you. That was in New York when I was doing, um, and Nathan Lane, not worked with, but uh, to be fair. I, we have to be fair about this. But, okay, so Bob Pagani and I scammed our way into this public access comedy show called Comedy and Company. Now, it's Saturday, Saturday Night Live is a big hit. This is like 1978, 79. And everybody thinks they're going to be the next Saturday Night Live, including this guy who was looking for public access people to, you know, to to do this show with him. And Bob Higani and I are writers on this thing. And we are the, the most undisciplined people on the face of the <laughs> earth. He worked with Andy Kaufman. That should show you how undisciplined, you know, that he's ready for anything. So, um, and, and we're there and we get to go to the auditions. And we're loving it because we get to make judgment on people. And... That people are coming in to to um, you know to, to audition, and one of the first uh, auditioners was actually a comedy team of Nathan Lane and some guy I don't remember, and it was one of those moments like I remembered the name Nathan Lane years later when he started showing up in things because he had made such such an impression. One of the other guys and who had evidently passed the audition unbeknownst to me was this guy, Bruce Willis. So we go to Larry Chandler, that's the producer's apartment, and we're gonna do improvisational games and we're gonna do like, to feel our way through. And and at this point I'm like, okay, well I'm nine blocks from BAI. Just let me get through this. <laughs> and each of us is supposed to say something and and we're gonna improvise around television. And we do and freeze and everybody's supposed to say something. And Bruce Willis said Bruce Willis's line was Television sure isn't as much fun since mom died. <laughs> <laughs> and he was gone after that. He was like out of. I, I think, as Larry said, he he kind of started going for paid gigs. See, he <laughs> kind of saw the folly. He, he kind of became clear where, where this thing was going right away.
0: So, but I mean, you're really bringing an improvisation person's sense to your show that. that Soupy. That, <clears throat> Excuse me, I've worked, you know, producing uh, on, on your show, and uh, uh, there was a great sense of comfort that if anything went wrong, that you could just turn the mic, turn on. turn the mic on. That's the first lesson. <laughs> things are in Mama's hands yes. from there on in. <laughs> yep,
1: yep. And and a really important thing to me, and and what was, I wanted to get away from the fantasy of Kids America, the different characters. Partially because I'm control freak and I wasn't gonna be able to get them to come down and, and you know, I wasn't able to pay anybody. So I wanted to do it myself. At yeah. that part just the performing part of it. But
0: so there's never been any characters on the show. Nope. And yeah, yeah. I'm
1: the only character on the show. I thought it was really important to have a WBAI type talk radio show for kids a civilized you know non-confrontational talk radio type of thing yeah. for kids and what became really important to me was the music and that we um and this is before there was a lot of kids music there was Tom Paxton and Pete Seeger Kathy Fink and Marcy Marks or Barry Lewis Paul who's who are the main records I stole from Kids America <laughs> oh that's right once again Kathy walked out of there with a lot of records that's basically how we started But I mean since then Warner. there's been
0: a whole kids music whole revolution that happened
1: kids independent music kindy music is what we call it and in fact every year at WXPN we have a a big conference called Kindycom. the com is for community where all these people who are, are making this music and writing about this music and just kind of celebrating this music gather together and last year all my friends came and all the heavy hitters and it was wonderful and i of course since i live i it makes it, I live with a dark cloud over my head all the time. I don't show it, but I really do wait for that other shoot to fall all the time. Because you're pretty
0: much the Ed Sullivan at that at that community meeting Yeah, there.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I am always ready for something to go wrong. And then we had it again this year, and my closer big-name friends couldn't come. And it was just as wonderful and just as a community and just as valuable and supportive for the musicians because it's really a musician's event i can't get the venue operators to come i send out personal invitations and say hey i know you're going to be looking for kids musicians you really should come to our showcase you could come for free you could watch all these bands and i don't hear from them but sure enough Maybe a month later, hey, what kids' bands are out there that are really good? I'm like, well, you idiot if you would come to Kindycom. Hey, what What
0: do you look for in uh, in the kids' music? Uh, fun.
1: Yeah. Something fun. Something literate that is like witty. Some kind of wordplay is really good. Um, I don't care so much about a lesson or a message because too much of kids' music is all message and lessons and to the detriment of the music, make the music good and the message will follow. Yeah. So, and and you know, just as I remember the first moment I ever heard the Beatles and how they changed my life, I put a cassette in of a band called Trout Fishing in America and it crystallized everything I wanted kids music to be. And this was years after I had started doing um, doing Kids Corner.
0: Yeah. and they become uh, a regular part of the show pretty much. They
1: are like they're my brothers. Uh-huh. You know, I create I create families and and <laughs> and um they they became my brothers. We we just but but first it was the music. First I connected to to the music. And I got to tell you what happened this year speaking of like the 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 history of, of things. So our um our big guest this year was Bob McGrath uh-huh. from uh, from Sesame's. Sesame Street. Most people know from Sesame Street. Well, I remember him from Sing Along With Mitch because I shared a bedroom with my grandmother my whole childhood, and she loved that young man on Sing Along With Mitch. We had a
0: lot of Sing Along With Mitch records at my house. Did you
1: really? Very
0: square music
1: choices.
2: Oh, (laughs) yes.
1: And and he was on the TV show. He was the soloist. He had this beautiful tenor voice, and he was young and kind of hot as well. Um, So this was like, I'm relating to this because this connects me to my grand because i graduated from high school the year sesame street started i don't have that you know kind of 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 connection and and sesame street people were all on kids america and so i have like that kind of connection there's a picture of big bird in me yes there is um but so bob and his wife come and they are just lovely people they are everything you want them to be and he's going to he's a bit, though, where he sings to recorded track and he's going to do a couple of songs, you know, as part of the, the interview on Saturday afternoon. I interview him and then he does a, a couple of songs. So we go into the studio and, and to rehearse this. And Robert's there with me and, and his wife and, and you know Bob McGrath's wife and, and I are there. And we, he, we're figuring out the tracks and he sings like a couple of lines of each one. And then he gets to the track the rainbow connection and he starts singing the ring i'm gonna i'm gonna do it he starts singing the rainbow connection to me uh-huh. and i'm eight years old in my bedroom <laughs> with my grandmother again look at you all barbara walters getting me to cry this is so cool
0: i'm tearing up a little bit it, just try and, to lubricate the whole situation and
1: and the and he and I, I, you know, God, he did the whole song and, and, you know, I'm crying. And Robert says to me afterwards, well, thank God you got that out of your system. Now you're going to be fine when you do the interview. So, and you know what's coming. We do, we up there. we do the interview and he's getting up and he's going to do his whole stick. Now this is a room full of people who A, have grown up on Sesame Street and B, all make music for children. So he has a loving, wonderful audience. And he does his stuff and he was really wonderful. And he gets to the Rainbow Connection. And there is a YouTube video of this that is done by a a performer named, a singer named Joni Leeds. And the camera starts very straight and very strong. And then it starts bouncing up and down (laughs) because she's sobbing (laughs) as he's singing Rainbow Connection. I'm sobbing as he, again, as he's sitting, singing Rainbow Connection. And it really was one of those moments of, this is why we do this. And this is why we're here. And it just was this, oh, yeah, you know, that I can still respond that way to that song, yeah, yeah. you know. And I played, that's that was also my go-to song. Every time a disaster, every, Challenger blew up. We played the Rainbow Connection. Yeah, you've from been about live the on the air
0: talking to kids, you yeah. know, through September all sorts of tragedies. September 11th, through started.
1: the beginning of the Iraq
0: War. What we, happened on September 11th on the, your show?
1: Mimi, man, our nurse came in, and um, at that time, like when we booked her to come in, when we said, "Can you come in, you know, and, and talk about this?" and and at that point we really thought there were going to be 10,000 more dead that they were going to find, you know, 10, you know, thousands and thousands. And it really, it, we were, um, answering questions, questions that kids have, but mostly talking about turn off the TV, if it's bothering you and talk to somebody. Cause I had friends who his little girl thought that planes were flying into buildings all over the world over and because she saw this same image over and over and over again. So um we we talked, and again, this is lessons from people like Mr. Rogers, who said, talk to someone who you feel safe with and talk about your feelings. They're probably hurting too. You know, I'm going back to, you know, seeing my father cry when Kennedy got shot. You know that 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 sort of thing, and and just kind of talk to the people who love you, and if you can't get answers to your questions, keep asking until, you know, until you do get some yeah, answers.
0: Yeah. Well, there's very few topics you haven't talked about on the on the yeah. show. Yeah, yeah. I was engineering one night when you were talking about uh, molestation, and yeah. and, and, and uh, I remember afterwards you were looking at I didn't think that and, you know there was you got very explicit about all the ways that you know, it could happen. And you were talking to me afterwards saying, I didn't think we were going to be into that phrase know, on this I kid's know. show tonight.
2: I know.
1: It surprises me sometimes. It really does. And and in fact, we now have not, not that show, but we've done since then um, shows about depression and, and shows about um, abuse. And, and now we have them on our website, so you can download them at, at kidscorner.org. There's the plug. And um, <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah. Radio is the most intimate medium. It is the most powerful medium because of that. And you, you sometimes you just got to be there. Yeah. Just yeah. sometimes you just got to be there for somebody. And and that's basically it. Oh my god, we have gone through a lot. <laughs> we we and and I've gone through a lot personally. I I have to say too. I've I've gone through death of pets. I've gone through the death of soupy, soupy sales, soupy, soupy, my dog, but also of soupy sales of the man who was like my dad.
0: And you've had health problems over the course of having the show as well.
1: Yep. I've had had surgeries and, and, um, I did my hip blog when I had my hip replaced (laughs) and, and I, again, um, I I lost a, a dear friend to, to breast cancer quite a few years ago. And so we did shows about that, about, Coping with loss, but also coping with watching someone you love be sick. And what can you do? What do you do when you really feel powerless? Because kids, you know, kids are so powerful and yet they really have no power. You know, I know your kid can get you to do anything in the world, (laughs) but ultimately, you know, what can you do? You, you, when you're that age, you got no power. Have the kids changed over the years? We've gotten younger listeners education has changed over the years and one of the really sad things that i see and one of the things that i'm trying to to address somehow is the ability the ability to imagine is there it's natural to a kid but if i play a piece of music and i say to you what picture comes to your mind when i play this piece of music overwhelmingly now kids will say instruments people singing and it's a very i think test-based very factual way to look at it at the same time they're reading more than ever and they're yeah, yeah. you know have all these these you have stimuli open to them but and applying that taking that away and turning it into something creative and imaginative yeah. that that kind of and and one thing that has not changed and it's a very very small number of parents but and i don't know if when you were doing my show you ever heard these but the parents who will stand there and tell the kid what to say <laughs> And you know who you are. Pet peeve, maybe. Oh, that drives me crazy. And I have even said, you know, well, Dan, I want to hear your words. I mean, like, be kind of subtle about it, you know. It's,
0: talking about kids' imaginations, though, it's funny. It takes me back to a friend of mine who's teaching college right now. And he really nailed it down to a point that, like, these kids, students can't seem to infer anything. That you can, you know, give them all the, you know, adjectives to suggest something, but they can't make that jump and infer it on their own. That needs to be concrete for them. Wow.
1: That's yeah. very well put.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then that really, that really, you know, made it real somehow to me yeah. or whatever. That really captured something that, oh. You're like,
1: what happened? Yeah. yeah. But, but also, and, and I believe that that's someplace where Kids Corner, where media can play. Uh, Whatever little role we can to kind of supplement whatever is being done wrong these days (laughs) in education, Um, you know, that we are another educational tool. say, I watch too much television, so you won't have to. <laughs> and you know, I, I'm on Facebook telling you, yeah, TCM alert, go watch yeah. this right now.
0: Yeah, but I, I mean, I even feel, I, I even question, you know, yeah. even though we only had eight or nine channels, I feel like there was a lot more diversity on what was presented in front of me with just a few channels than what's on hundreds of channels now.
1: For real, for yeah. real. I was, I'm, And... So there's one of the the nostalgia channels, MeTV, or one of them, you know, has these decades, and they're running marathons of Love American Style, a show I really didn't grow up on because I was busy watching my either watching my life fall apart or following Soupy <laughs> Sales, take your pick. And 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 yes, I went through it to find out everyone Soupy was going to be on, so I could record it. But I was just amazed at the 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 breadth of of, of performers and and just like original comedy and just the stuff that we got yeah. Yeah, yeah look at Saturday nights that used to be Mary Tyler Moore show and Newhart and Gunsmoke. well Gunsmoke moved to Monday eventually but yeah, just got, that, got my other love in there
0: <laughs> Just the fact that it was sort of an anthology show too a, a romantic comedy anthology yes. show like it really allowed a lot of possibilities and this whole revolving door of guests and everything there like, was
1: a show you never like people mourn and I'm sure that if we ever got to see it 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 like, lives better in legend, I'm sure. But there was a show called That's Life with Robert Morse and E.J. Peeker. Huh. E.J. Peeker is best known as Minnie Faye in the, the Hello Dolly movie. And, um, and he's Bobby Morse. He's adorable Bobby Morse. And it was a musical every week and it was these this couple's relationship from the moment they meet right on through to the birth of their first child and then their show gets canceled but that's life and i think it had some original songs but also they used standards they used all kinds of songs in this thing yeah and that was something that was like just there oh i've had My kids, I have dotage kids, as you know, kids who grew up listening to me who will take care of me in my old age. (laughs) And one of them, we were watching the Dinah Shore show, which runs on the Jewish Life channel, the same channel that runs Soupy and and the Goldbergs, the original Goldbergs. And it was the Dinah Shore show. And the guests were Cheetah Rivera and Julie Andrews and... It was someone else. And at one point, Nathan said, "And you had this stuff all the time." <laughs> I said, "Yeah, we had. This is what we grew up on. This yeah. is what we had access to."
0: I mean, that's funny. I often think of a Dinah Shore moment of one of the oddest moments on television. is when she had Iggy Pop as a guest on the show, and I'm like, I can't think of any sort of cultural parallel to like turning on the TV and they turn on Iggy <laughs> Pop is on TV. You know, I love it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's uh, you know, with with all the reality TV and everything, it seems like dramatic TVs, uh, even dramatic shows, are on the the wane in the modern TV landscape anymore.
1: Also, think about you got The Good Wife, you got, and and they're always trying, like, if something works, then 37 different versions of it, or of Under the Dome, or or whatever. But look at Empire Mm -hmm. Empire became huge it's dynasty with music yeah but yeah. it's great it's a soap opera it, yeah. it, it works
0: and black hair, big Black yeah. cast yeah
1: and you know it, it, it's so funny because people will you know wax nostalgic about you know, like shows they watched when they were kids and i always have to say i grew up watching playhouse 90 <laughs> i really grew up watching this really weird stuff yeah you know yeah. mike wallace doing doing interviews you know, he he did a show called Nightbeat, oh, okay. which, which my father loved, and uh-huh. he would sit there smoking cigarettes and interviewing people, and and you know. Merv Griffin and and Johnny Carson used to have on Robert Kennedy used to have on Timothy Leary
0: yeah you
1: know used to have people to do more than just promote something
0: exactly I remember like Peter Ustinov it was never about yes. what Peter Ustinov yes. was promoting it was about him telling some great story about being at the South Seas shooting a film or
1: Alexander something. Alexander you know? King yeah you know or, or my favorite Jack Douglas Jack Douglas and Rako Jack Douglas was a comedy writer and he wrote this series of books. Books, books. Um, my brother started my brother was an only child. Um, The Adventures of Huckleberry, Hashimoto. Like, but these these just like comedy books. These these just and they were on with Jack Parr and Merv Griffin all the time. And Jack Douglas was this great big, you know, kind of you know, deadpan guy, it was very funny. And he was married to this little tiny Japanese woman named Reiko who kept messing up. kept kept messing up english and 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 they were just this wonderful you know the, the people that we saw regularly judy garland was on the jack parr show this is a friday night show that that he had all the time and just sitting there and talking you know who had a great talk show by the way one of the best ever and you can find some clips online Gypsy Rose Lee. Really? I've never Gypsy heard of Gypsy Rose Lee. The stripper uh-huh. had um it was the Gypsy Rose Lee show and it was on afternoons. I think it was out of San Francisco. And either Pierre Cossette or Marty Passetta, one of those like famous names of of New York of of TV producers was her producer. And she had everybody. There's a clip online of Gypsy Rose Lee and Ethel Merman. And it was basically just gypsy talking. And it was her and interviewing and her and and she was wonderful. And I watched her, you know, every day. And and learn just you know just sit <laughs> oh there God. and talk just sit there and run your mouth.
0: For me, the revelation as I got a little older, Tom Snyder. The,
1: oh yes,
0: yeah, the Tomorrow Show and yes. uh, him and the black set smoking up a storm and having a lot of counterculture people on. Having just for somebody who saw John Waters on. Yes, you yeah. know, for somebody who saw Divine uh i saw charles manson the famous interview on that show and
1: late night that that's my 70s that's yeah. that's my you know staying up late because i'm an adult and nobody's going to tell me anymore because i'm an orphan <laughs> that i can't stay <laughs> up all night and it, it really it was wonderful and again conversation
0: it's the cheapest thing to produce and yet it's really it's really gone now the things that are called talk shows in general are variety shows
1: and that's the thing i mean, i love jimmy fallon i really do i love the show but it's not. I mean, there. I believe, as you know, I have blind allegiance to Stephen Colbert. I worship him. My dog is named <laughs> after him. Um, so I think Colbert is really going to be wonderful replacing Letterman. But Letterman was one of the last shows where occasionally things would get serious.
0: Yeah, yeah. There was an unpredictability to it for a long time. Yeah. Um, but, but even him, not the greatest conversationalist, I'd say. Like somehow he... He uh, he manned that show with some some sort of different skill, but it was never like him as being the great you know the great conversationalist.
1: Terrible interviewer. (laughs) Yeah. Terrible. Although I mean, you you would see him talk to McCain, or you would you know see him talk to uh, when when he takes it seriously. Yeah, yeah. He
0: he also carried a certain intimidation factor. I mean, I guess he was still is razor sharp as a as a an improviser and everything. Uh, so nobody was gonna get anything past him but uh, but uh, it''s, it's uh, I, I do miss the age of, of your rambling conversation on yes. radio and on, on television. I guess that's why I've moved into podcasting well, and, 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 and that's really
1: That's why I gotta start paying attention <laughs> to podcasts. I, I really do because I do like the conversation you- okay I'm not proud of this but you are my friend so I'll okay <laughs> The podcast that I pay most attention to is called Rob has a website and it's two guys who were on survivor and they analyze each week's episode of survivor. So I watch that after survivor every week. I really have to do better. Supi and i reconnected and truly he and his wife trudy became like my parents and well, how did you meet again though yeah. 2002 he did a show over at the can club in philadelphia in, yes in philadelphia and at this point i'm kathy from kids corner i've got the peabody awards and i've got a lot of press and i brought it with me and no in <laughs> fact i sent it with i, I sent it with me I I sent it through I'm getting two occasions that we reconnected kind of mixed up but it's all it it all gets to the same point I sent him on my press and I went to his show and that was like that was before 2002 and it was like old home week and he told me how proud he was of me and and you know that this is after he had had a few health challenges and his voice was really kind of like like this. He, he was not, not doing well. And I um, went to the show and, and saw him and sat next to Sally Starr, by the way. And we just reconnected. And, and I really met Trudy for the first time instead of that dancer that we had referred to her as over <laughs> the years when we were still stalking him. And the first thing I ever said to Trudy was, thank, I said to, to her, Thank you for taking care of him, taking such good care of him for all these years. To him, the first thing I said, after you know, soupy, it's okay, was thank you for not calling the cops on us. Yeah. I got to go to parties at their apartment with the neighbor upstairs who was Walter Cronkite's um producer for 40 years. We were family. We got the four of us, the bad kids table, you know, the guys <laughs> upstairs and and us, dev, but we every holiday we spent together. You know, and and we really did we we became like family and it was just a wonderful thing. But he would introduce me to to people and he would She's got two Peabody
2: awards, and it was
1: just like, okay, thanks, Dad. All, all, all right, and at the same time, and and this used to crack up Trudy because, okay, how do I say this nicely? Soupy was always pretty impressed with being Soupy Sales and thought there was a certain amount of entitlement that went to that, and being some, a
0: star of that that ilk yes. or that level, of, of course, exactly,
1: yeah. and. There were times, and one of the things I miss most, I used to shake my finger in his face. You listen up, old man. You really, you don't like what I'm feeding you right now. Why don't you get out of that chair and chase me? You know, like it, I would have like those intimate, you know, dad and daughter moments like that. That was just it was fun. Yeah, yeah, it it was fun. And and again, Trudy would worry. Like he would go off on a tangent. She, I don't know what to say to him. <laughs> just go off on the tangent with him you know and then he would get annoyed that i didn't know what he was talking about like no that's not what i mean oh tell me what you mean old man <laughs> you know but yeah it, it was really just a, a lovely lovely experience in my life wow and now i have all the soupy stuff i have white fang and black tooth i have the puppets i have the puppets i was now there okay, this is going to really upset a lot of people who maybe are over a certain age, but there was more than one white fang and black tooth. You know, he was in different cities. <laughs> and you know, I got the New York ones uh. because they're the ones that meant the most to me. And and the way white fang and black tooth were, they were basically just arms made out of felt. And Frank Nastasi, who knew all about being felt shall we say um (laughs) wore these on on his arm so these were the puppets from the new york show which really meant the most to me so i'm leaving their apartment one night and they really were mom and dad like here take food home here here we got you this here you go and trudy comes you know is at the door and she hands me this baggie and says here do you want to take white fang and black tooth home and I said no, too much responsibility. And Soupy's in the corner, like, hey, go take them. take them Like, well, okay. And and you know they're locked away. They're, yeah. they're but but you know I got
0: hey, they're they're Smithsonian worthy. idols, yes, Really. Yeah. That
1: that's what I think that that's and and like the the Carol Burnett chair, um he he gave me that. Okay he. He knew he could just choke me. He, he would crack up when I would get choked up over something, which, which occasionally I would. And the Carol Burnett chair. Because oh, we, we would play a game called Real Crazy or Show Business Crazy. And I would ask, if, is, is, that, is she really crazy? Nah, show business crazy. Joan Rivers, to the day he died, said, show business crazy. Because she was on The Apprentice at the time. Marty Ingalls? real crazy so you know these are two you know ends of the the spectrum but um and he would tell me stuff about people some dirt dirt. and i but i said to him do me a favor don't ever tell me anything bad about carol burnett and he said there's nothing bad to tell (laughs) and he gave me the seat, the 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 his back and and the seat from the Carol Burnett show. So they give this to me, and I start crying because this is Carol Burnett, and soupy sales, all you know,
2: <laughs> wrapped
1: up. Yeah, th- this really is the core of Kathy. And and he just start, he rolls his eyes and laughs. Like, "Thank you so much." He just he, he just laugh at, at me. Okay, this is it is okay to tell the deathbed story? No, please. Okay, first of all, I don't know it's the deathbed yet because. I don't know that when someone's in hospice, that's like, that's it. You know, I'm still kind of just enjoying.
0: What year is this?
1: This is 2009. This is shortly. This is a couple of weeks before he died. And his, he had a lot of stuff. He, he had uh, an aortic aneurysm and, and he had cancer and he had this disease and he had that and he kept going. He really did to, to the end, I would say, soupy, you comfortable I make a nice living, and as soon as, <laughs> as long as he continued to say that, I knew he was still okay. You know, so he was still in there. He would just sleep a lot, but he's he's in hospice at at, at this point. And um, Trudy went down to the um, dining room because she, she was allowed to stay at hospice with them, which meant I got the apartment, and I, you know, my teenage dream really did did enjoy. Yeah, on on one hand. My dad is dying. But on the other hand, I get to stay in a Midtown Eastside apartment. So, you know, there's a silver lining in, in everything. Moving in with Soupy. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it wasn't the first time. That really had become my home base. I would go up every weekend and, you know, bring groceries to mom and dad and, and you know, like come up and organize their stuff and stay there when, you know, Trudy had had surgeries and, and just it was a wonderful, close. Just lovely time with this with this man who knew me since I was a a dopey teenager, and who could look at me with a look of pride that my dad didn't live long enough to see, and that was a big big deal to me that I got to do that. And you know, too, that
0: you're carrying on in the family business. Yes, yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. And I got really good at taking care of old people, you know, or this one old. I did not go into the more intimate parts of Deaf caretaking. That's probably why I was so good at it. But you know, I could like talk to him through you know, like, He go off on a tangent. I go off on the tangent with him and all okay, so at this point, it, it's pretty close to you know, we, we, we're getting toward the end. We know it's like within you know maybe months or so. I thought we had like weeks and months. So it's, it turns out to be the weekend before he dies. And I'm there, and I just I'm doing what I always do. I'm sitting by, him and I'm babbling, and I'm talking, and I'm just you know I don't know if he hears me or not, but I'm talking. I'm keeping him happy. I'm. I, this surprises you, I know, but I could just keep on talking about everything. <laughs> and at one point, I'm like. Oh man, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. So I start singing to him, and I'm singing his songs, and Grammy nominated for best music for children, lost to Leonard Bernstein, I must say. <laughs> it was a great album, but it wasn't a kids album. <laughs> that, by the way, is late term Soupy Sales. That's what that's that is my copy written <laughs> imitation of, of Soupy. So you know, and and um, so I start singing, and I'm singing the songs from his shows, from from his his you know the Soupy Sales show and and all that that I know by heart because I I listen to these records so much and then I start singing songs from his plays and I get to when I'm not near the girl I love I love the girl I'm near from Finian's Rainbow which I saw him for two weeks do in Atlanta with my spending my college money with with my friend Donna and his eyes are closed and he starts mouthing along with I'm confessing a confession you know just and he's he this is a big communication from him. And just at that moment, just like in the movies, Trudy walks in to see him responding to someone in there. You know, to just to have this nice, nice moment. And it was just, it was a beautiful thing. I, I got, it really was a rich experience that I never had with my, you know, with my blood family. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it was, real. I... I thank god i wasted my life on him <laughs>
2: truly
1: professor erwin corey he um he hijacks soupy's funeral Oh, he, okay, so <laughs> so there we are at the synagogue, <laughs> and there's all these. Richard Kind was there. I mean, there there were Mar, Mar, you know Mark Summers who who loved Soupy was a dear friend of his. So there were you know enough enough recognizably recognizable his sons people.
0: Are both uh, famous musicians? They are
1: both excellent, very famous musicians, Tony and Hunt, and I, they David were there. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and. Played with David Bowie and and also are very highly regarded themselves, in the music community. And one of the really cool things I know at WXPN was um, Dan Reed, our 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 music director. You know, was like the thing I love about Soupy Sales is his sons, and he wound up interviewing Hunt. Uh-huh. And it was a thrill for him. Now, to me, it's like, okay, you're interviewing basically my brother. Like, okay, that's, that's nice. But but it, it really is. And I know Soupy was so proud of them. Yeah, yeah. Tony Sales, on his 14th birthday, appeared with his band on I've Got a Secret. Oh, Did really? you get to do that on your 14th <laughs> birthday? Because I didn't get to do that on my it
0: was It was the trio of... Uh, Dino Desi and Dino, Billy. Dino Desi and
1: Billy. Billy Hinchy and Billy. And John Pousset Dart, who was in Tony and the Tigers. It, uh, uh, Tony and the Tigers were Tony and Hunt. John Pousset Dart, who is still a folky musician. Pousset Dart band, right? Yes. Like, yeah. Yes, that's him. Yeah. The Trouts had heard of him. And they were like, how do you know John Pousset Dart? He was in Tony and the Tigers. All <laughs> things go back to Sufi. And Burgess Meredith's son, John. Uh, and they, got, they were on... I've got a secret for Tony's 14th birthday. So yeah, Tony, tell me how tough your life is. No, he does it. I just want to. But um so Erwin Corey, so people are getting up and speaking and Tony and Hunt get up and speak and this you know and, and people got up and 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 spoke. And we're about to uh, you know close things down and all of a sudden you hear I want to speak. And it's Professor Erwin Corey who is 101 <laughs> years old. I am not kidding. Yeah. And he's got okay, this helmet that he wears with all kinds of lefty bumper stickers on it and you can see him every day he sells newspapers on the street i mean he is a true new york character new york city yep and he um you know, and 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 we're okay. You know, everybody knows who he is. He's Professor Irwin Corey. you have dear friend of of Annie Ross, the jazz singer, who's who's there, who was a close close friend to Soupy's. So he and and he he shuffles up there and he gets up there and he goes, Odetta, and then he named someone else, <laughs> and then Soupy Sales, because Odetta had just died oh, recently, okay. uh, all gone all gone too soon and why because we don't have health care in this country <laughs> now let me tell you i was there if there was one thing that man had it was health care he had plenty of health care and it was so and, and <laughs> professor erwin gory is doing his speech and then freddie roman who's the the with the dean of, fr- of the friars was came up to kind of Shuffle um, Professor Irwin Corey off the, the stage, but that's how he, he provided
0: a moment at Soupy's funeral that there was a go. lot of fun. There you go. A lot of fun. Well, I think we're, maybe we're ready to wrap things up here. I think so. Yeah, I think uh, you, you have time that, I mean, I think you have to get going at 2 30. It you?
1: probably. Yeah. God only knows. What time is how it? How long time? have we been here?
0: Have we been here for a while?
1: Oh my god! I know somebody it? keeps texting me. I don't know who it is. Let's find out while while this is still running. Let's find out who's texting me. Yeah. Nope. There we go. All right. Who's been texting me? Oh, jeez. It's the usual gang of
0: idiots. Well, thank you so much for uh, Sweetheart, coming Sweetheart, thank the, you. The this is a
1: lot of fun, and I'm actually gonna, you know, go listen to podcasts. <laughs>
0: One, two, three, four. That's it for this episode. Thanks again for listening. You can hear Kathy at work Monday through Thursday as Kids Corner airs at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on WXPN out of Philadelphia. You can find out more at kidscorner.org. Catch past episodes of Fun to Know at SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Catch me spinning jazz Mondays at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on WPRB Princeton. Read my film reviews at Falker.com, and check back in two weeks for more fun to know.
2: We're free, I tell you. So wake up. It's time.